0: morning. These are the words of the one true God from Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. And all the crowds were astounded and were saying, Can this man really be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man does not cast out demons by, except by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons." And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven." And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. You may be seated. Good morning, church family.
1: Well, whether you're here in person or joining us via live stream, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 12. We'll, with God's help, um, find our way through the passage that Pastor Sean just read for us, Matthew 12, beginning in verse 22. Matthew's gospel, all these many months that we've been in it, has been showing us that uh, a great battle is underway for the souls of God's image bearers. This battle is the scenery that you live in uh, as you go to your jobs, as you um, raise your children, as you you live in your neighborhood, as you uh, maybe live out your your retirement years, and certainly as you face the reality uh, of your share in the death that Adam's fall brought us all, uh, there is this spiritual battle raging all around us. Whether you're aware of it or not, you and I live in a spiritual war zone. The scripture says that this world really, despite all of its diversity, just has two kinds of people in it. There are those whose hearts are ruled by God. Is your heart ruled by God? you have a sense of that? There are those whose hearts are ruled by God and those whose hearts belong to the God of this world. It's one or the other. There's no third option. There's no middle ground. And Matthew shows us this in not in the macro sense like I've been talking, but in the, but in the micro sense, the, this microcosm of the spiritual battle that's taking place around God's world right now in the life of a man uh, ravaged by the enemy of souls, um, and yet he is set free by the power of Christ just like anyone here today, anyone listening in from home today, ravaged by sin, uh, can be set free uh, by the power of Christ alone. But if you you are to be set free from the grasp of the strong man that is Satan, you must seek shelter in the one who is stronger still. Now I want to just give us some waypoints through this passage. It's not really an outline uh, this morning, but just some some waypoints, some listening posts, I guess, as we work our way through here. Uh, Matthew, first of all, shows us the authority of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. How many of you know there is no greater authority than the authority of Jesus? And then he will show us the, the great astonishment that some people have at the authority of Jesus. And then there is this, unspeakable accusation against Jesus. We need to wrestle with that, this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is that? And then the affirmation of Jesus' authority. And then finally, a a very sobering admonition. Jesus gives a warning in this passage. You are either for me or you are against me. Uh, You can't be sort of one way or the other. There's no middle ground. And so what is Matthew showing us about the authority of Jesus? Um, Look at verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. A demon, Satan's agent, uh, has imprisoned this man indwells this man, this image-bearer of God, possessing his soul. But but demons, like their master, Satan, are powerless in the presence of God the Son. Don't, Don't forget that. Jesus then comes into this man's life, and with his authority, he gives vision where blindness had once kept this man in not only spiritual darkness but physical darkness. Jesus comes into this man's life and and with his authority he he gives voice to a man created to sing God's praises and to speak forth God's truth and yet had been rendered unable to do so by sin's curse. Satan and his demons are are quieted and conquered in the presence of of god the son and so this this is the restorative uh, authoritative uh, work of jesus christ remember matthew has been telling us about the kingdom of heaven what what is the kingdom of heaven it's 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 this work of god reclaiming his world reclaiming his people um, through the work of christ his king for his glory and what what we must know about Our Jesus is that his authority is unrivaled. It's incomparable. This is not a spiritual battle that that involves equal sides. Don't think that. Well, we'll file that away for later. Notice the responses to the authority of Jesus. There there is the response of amazement. I wonder this morning, are you not amazed at the power and authority of Jesus? Are you? A couple of you. You wouldn't be saved without it. Verse 23 says, all the crowds were astounded and were saying, can this man really be the son of David? The, that word that's trans, translated astounded or amazed or astonished. It's a bit of an understatement really in English. It's, it's, the people's minds are just blown by uh, what has happened um, through the, the authority of Jesus in this demon-possessed man's life. William Hendrickson in his commentary says the people were knocked out of their senses. I mean, they were just stupefied by what Jesus has done for this man. And these are people who have seen great authority before. They've seen uh, the authority of man, their nation, Israel, um, cruelly but but completely absorbed by the Roman Empire, the, the, the power, the authority really on on planet earth at that time. And these people have seen the political and social authority of their own religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, who insisted that people carry this heavy burden of legalistic rule keeping to do more of this and stop doing less of that and just try and try and try to please God in your own strength. Try to make yourself right with God. in your your own effort. These people knew all about authority. They've even seen the authority of Satan displayed in people like this demon-possessed man. But here they are absolutely stunned and, and again stupefied at this display of the authority of Jesus. This is like no authority they've ever seen before. And in their amazement they ask can this man really be the son of David Now think about what they're asking son of David remember is the scripture's own uh, designation of of Israel's messiah God's promised deliverer and redeemer of his elect people and so you know that they're wanting to know is this really the ideal king uh, that has been promised to us is th- is this really um, the liberator that God uh, has promised to us? Is this the one uh, who, whom we, the, the prophets foretold, who, who comes with great uh, authority and power not only to re- rule, uh, but, but to heal and, and to save and show mercy to? Is this the one who will crush the serpent's head? from way back there in Genesis 3.15, is is, is this Yahweh's anointed king, the the, the uh, all-powerful ruler that we must seek refuge in as they knew from Psalm 2? In other words, why why am I belaboring this? Um, Faith is beginning to form in the minds of these people in the presence of Christ's unrivaled authority. His his benevolent authority Authority, his rescuing authority, and you may wonder, what in the world does this have to do with me? I mean, is is this just kind of an interesting look at the the history of God the Son as he as he walked uh, his days on planet Earth? Well, well, it is that for sure. This is not a. This is not a a story in the sense of of it being a fairy tale. I I pray we understand that. This is real human history that we're reading of. God coming to humanity and demonstrating not only his heart, but his power, his authority uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. But but why do we need to to see this as we are? Well, I pray this morning that the spirit of God is now forming faith in hearts among us. In the minds of anyone is still wondering, is this Jesus, the one who has the authority to set me free from sin's grip on me? Listen, Jesus' authority is sufficient to set anyone free from bondage to sin and self. And by the way, that is Satan's domain, sin and self. His authority is sufficient to set you free, to be ruled by the God who made you in his image, who made you to reflect his holy image in his world. So you too have a have a question to to wrestle with this morning. Will Jesus' authority one day be used to judge you with hellish finality? We'll come back to that. Or will his authority be expressed in his healing you and cleansing you and restoring you to God, erasing the entire record of your transgressions against God? Think about that. How long is your rap sheet? Mine's long. And don't nod your head in agreement. Just just leave it there. Um, Oh, how we need the authority of this Jesus who comes in love to erase the record of our transgressions. Well, we're going in a direction now, aren't we? Matthew shows us the authority of Jesus. He he shows us this amazement at Jesus' authority. But but notice, and this is this is um, hard to give voice to. It's so horrible. But there is this awful accusation against Jesus, verse twenty four. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, "This man does not cast out demons except by Beelzebul, the ruler." Of the demons. Now, th- think about this: so deep and so active is the Pharisees' jealousy and hatred of Jesus that they ascribe his miraculous power to Satan himself. Beelzebul, or Beelzebub, literally, um, you know, Lord of the flies, Lord of dung. Uh, was, a, was a colloquialism that the Jews had embraced as um, referring to Satan himself. Now just think about what these Pharisees are saying. We, we, we're seeing, they're not disputing the authority, the power of Jesus. It's, it's real, there's no denying it. And yet they insist it must come from hell and not from heaven this this blasphemy of attributing the works of God to Satan uh, is, is an ultimate rejection of God himself and notice what Jesus does with his authority in the, in the face of this this blasphemy he He affirms not just for matthew 's first readers but but for us today Jesus affirms. Um, that his authority is, in fact, divine. And, and notice that, first of all, he just uses logic. How many of you know that to um, embrace Christ as your rescue, as your, your redeemer, your, your king, is not to set logic aside? Don't, don't think of that. Verse 25, and knowing their thoughts, he said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house divided against itself will not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Jesus is omniscient. He, he knows all things. He, he knows what these Pharisees are thinking, he knows what the, the, the people in the crowds are thinking, he knows what you're thinking. He knows what those joining us from home are thinking. And he affirms for all of our thinking uh, that his power is the very power of God himself. And so he tells these Pharisees that this this accusation, horrific as it is, um, is illogical. Why would Satan attack one of his own? A house divided against itself cannot stand. And by the way, that is why we read, are you still listening? That's why we see all over scripture this this warning about um, trying to get these two kingdoms, uh, the kingdom of God and and his Christ and and the kingdom of the God of this world uh, uh, to play well together. It, It can't happen. And so God comes to us in his word um, and says, hey, don't, don't be unequally yoked. You who are um, considering marriage, th- those of you who, who, who sort of embrace the idea of missionary dating, you know, you know he doesn't know the Lord yet, but if I you know, spend enough time with him, he will one day. We'll go ahead and get married. That's, that's um, dangerous ground. Uh, a house divided against itself cannot stand, and that does not mean that God cannot work the miraculous uh, grace of uh, bringing both you know into his kingdom but but there 's a reason God says to us hey don 't don 't try to get these two kingdoms to play nice together ain 't going to happen secondly. Jesus tells them that their accusation is irrational. Again, uh, to to embrace Christ as king, to embrace Christ as redeemer, you don't set aside rational thought. The Pharisees themselves know that there is power from God to um, cast out demons. Look at verse 27. And if I by Beelzebul uh, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. And that phrase, your sons, simply means your people. Uh, Among the Pharisees, there was an understanding that there were those who um, God had enabled to cast out demons. And that uh, practice, that power, if you will, was attributed to God. And if such things were accepted by the Pharisees, um, however uncommon, what was their problem with Jesus? Why would his power not be then the power of God? And so the Pharisees' accusation is illogical and it's irrational, but that's, that's not even the worst thing about it. Um, it is iniquitous times a thousand. It's evil. It's wicked. It is blasphemous to deny the works of God when they're right in front of you. I beg you to hear this because you have seen the works of God right in front of you all your life. Does not the scripture say that the heavens themselves declare the glory of God? Does not the scripture say that that, um, man is without an excuse for denying even in seeing creation? That God is. And so we need to pay attention to this sin of denying the works of God when they're right in front of you. And for these Pharisees, there is now irrefutable evidence that the Savior and King whom God had promised has in fact come. And so Jesus says in verse 28, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Remember, Jesus has been preaching what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is here. The kingdom of God isn't only later. No, the, the kingdom of God even now is breaking into humanity in the work of Jesus Christ, through the authority of Jesus Christ. And, and what is this kingdom? Well, again, it's a it's that, that realm um, where... God is honored, where where God is loved, where where God is obeyed, uh, where where God is um, worshiped. In other words, the kingdom now exists in every heart, in, in every person in whom Christ reigns as king. You're hearing this? Those opponents of Jesus are calling the spirit of God himself evil. But, but how many of you know this is not just an, an ancient phenomenon. This is the world that we live in today. This is, this is not a, a novel thing. It looks different in scripture because it's a little different from what we experience in, in our day Uh, Listen to Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's always been the world we live in. There is a battle raging. Two kingdoms, not equal kingdoms, but two kingdoms, and be sure of this, there is no middle ground. There's no tweeners in the kingdom of God. And so the world says today, despite all the evidence around us of God's being and God's goodness and God's favor and all of these things, the world says today, you know, it's actually a, a good thing that we murder uh, what is it, Three 3,000 unborn babies every month in this country? That, that's a good thing that the world says. That, that's, that's choice. What could be better than letting people choose? And the world says today, well, it, it's a good thing that we now think men can be women and women can be men. And we can dis, uh, uh, destroy, really, uh, God's design for not only human sexuality, but family order and this sort of thing. There's always a danger of these things being practical. And in his affirmation of his authority, as Jesus deals with this terrible accusation, this this blasphemy really, uh, he gives us a powerful picture of what he has just done in this demon-possessed man. Look look at verse 29. How can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? The strong man in this word picture is Satan himself. John the Apostle tells us this in his first epistle. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The world's not neutral. Don't think that. Paul writes to the Corinthians that the gospel is is hidden uh, from those whose souls are are yet perishing. Why? Uh, Because the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Satan blinds Uh, All who are born into this sin-stained world, the world whose rebellion he now reigns over in that sense. So you could say all rebellion against God in, in all of its forms is satanic in that sense. You say, Well, I've never really thought of it that way. I always figured there were some people who were just kind of neutral on this whole Jesus stuff. And what does Jesus say? You're either for me or you're against me. There's no tweeners. And here in Matthew's gospel, the reality of Jesus' authority over Satan is shown in the physical realm. But we've noticed all throughout Matthew's gospel that these are also pictures, in a sense, of Jesus' authority uh, in the, the spiritual realm, the, the, the realm of, of the soul. And, and you know, we, we, we're meant to see with, with utter clarity that, yes, Satan is strong. He, he's not to be taken lightly, not, not to be trifled with, you know, as if it's some kind of, you know, comic strip type thing uh, but he, he is the strong man whose house uh, the human soul cannot be entered and that soul cannot be liberated uh, unless uh, he is bound and, and why has jesus come he's come to bind the strong man so so yes satan is a vicious foe uh, a violent enemy He does an awful lot of damage to the human soul, doesn't he? Ultimately, taking that soul to a Christless eternity in hell. But here's the thing Jesus is stronger still. This is in no way a battle of equals. Don't think that. Jesus is the one who has all authority all power, and he's come to bind the strong man who has imprisoned the souls of God's elect people. And so Matthew told us early on in his gospel, he gave us the record of you know, what, what, were, uh, you know, what was Joseph told, call his name Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. There's no question about it. It's not a maybe. It's not hopefully he's able to pull this off. No, he's doing this. He's doing this. Think back to, <clears throat> you're still listening? Yeah, yes. Think back to Genesis. <clears throat> and, um, you know, the, the human soul, the house, if you will, um, was originally made beautiful. Adam and Eve live, living in paradise, walking with God. Um, God breathed into Adam a beautiful soul and placed that, same kind of beautiful soul in Eve. Um, souls meant to be occupied by God himself. Bodies fit to live for his glory. And, and, and sin ruined that. I mean, there's, there's, there's a sense in which every one of us is a, is a beautiful ruins, Right? The house, the soul of man now, apart from Christ, has a, has a hideous occupant and, and, and some of you know this well. You think of this demon-possessed man, he's unable to see the glory of God, he's unable to speak God's truth, he's unable to, to sing God's praises, all of the things that man was created to do, in other words, he cannot do unless the strong man is bound and he's liberated and Jesus has come to do this. And it's possible that some of you are thinking to yourselves, you know, all this stuff about demons and whatnot, um, it just seems a bit um, antiquated to me. And and let me just caution us that this, this ugliness of what the strong man does with the human soul comes in many forms. Um, some of you, I know, have, have seen and, and have some experience interacting with demon possession. I'm not going to dwell on this, but it's a horrific thing, a scary thing. Um, but in our day and age, it is far more common for this ugliness of soul to be a lot less obvious. Um, Satan doesn't wear a little name tag that says, hi, I'm Satan. I've come to destroy you. The scripture says he comes disguised as an angel of light. And so it can be unseen, it can be undetected by anyone except the occupant of the house, the person whose soul is involved. Think about the Pharisees. Jesus has said of these Pharisees that they're like their father, the devil. And and he calls them whitewashed tombs. Just think of that image. That's that's disgusting. But their hearts, their their souls were disgusting, uh, even though most people who saw them saw that by outward appearances, they were respectable, devout, religious people in their community. Judas, um, the son of perdition, um, everybody looked at Judas and said, well, there goes one of the Jesus guys. And, and so this, this business of the soul being ransacked by Satan is not always overt in, in, in the, the visible sense. Looks can be deceiving when the landlord is the deceiver, right? And notice Jesus says the strong man has property. How can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property? What's his property? What are are his goods? Well, um, the mind, uh, the the affections, the will, uh, the the desires, the the priority. We're talking about the throne of the heart, really. So when Jesus comes to deliver a soul, he plunders all of that. Remember, he's, he's stronger than the strong man and he's still doing this work of separating his people from Satan's grip and just like this demon-possessed man who is liberated here, the sinner who is liberated by Christ now is mindful of God. She has affection for Christ. The will is now bent toward the will of God. Um, she desires, he desires what God desires, though that is lived out in real time um, imperfectly by God's people. The hands and the feet and the mouth, if you will, are put into service. They're not merely self serving now. Christ's authority secures for his people a complete liberation from Satan's grip. Do you believe this? That that means, listen, that means that any of us in this room who are Jesus people, saved people, more on that in a minute, thinking that, well, I guess I'm just stuck in this besetting pattern of sin. I guess this is just how I'm gonna be until the Lord calls me home. Um, You're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. Jesus is powerful to deliver his people from the grip of sin. What sin? Any sin. Any sin. In fact, the scripture often um, paints this this glorious picture of God's salvation in, in three different tenses. In Christ, you are saved from sin's penalty. Just think about this. In Christ, you will never be judged by God for your sin. Are you glad for this? Those of you who have a rap sheet. In Christ, you are being delivered from the power of sin right now to dominate your life. Doesn't have to be that way. And in Christ, be sure of this. One day you will have been delivered from even the presence of sin. This is, this is the kingdom of heaven in its fullness, a kingdom of righteousness. And we're meant to live toward this kingdom. And I mention all of that just in, in light of the text. Jesus employs no half measures. I, I beg you to hear this. You can't be sort of a Christian any more than you can be sort of pregnant or sort of dead. It, it, it's kind of all or nothing. Nothing. Says who? Says Jesus. And, and, he, and he says it really in the, in the form of, of, a, of an admonition. Verse 30, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And that's, that's really the, the question, uh, the, the, the salient question from this whole passage, isn't it, for us? Are you with Jesus Or are you against Jesus? He said, I've never really thought of being against him. I'm just not. No, are you with Jesus? Or are you against Jesus? Those are the the two possibilities. In Christ, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come to man. And and so you're, you're meant to ask yourself, um, in, in light of the, the, the scriptures this morning, as the spirit enables, have, have I surrendered to this king? Is, is, is that what's going on with me? Self has been dethroned? Look at this final and sobering admonition from Jesus. He says, you're either with me or you're against me. In Mark's gospel, this same truth is kind of flip flopped. Mark, Mark nine, for he who is not against us is for us. Either way, the point is what? There's not a middle ground. There's not a middle ground. And you know, we live in a world today that loves the middle ground. We love gray areas. We love compromises. I'm, I'm not talking about you people, but the, the people in the next service. And, you, and, you're, and you're praying for them, aren't you? Um, you know, we're, 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 we're surrounded by people every day who want this sort of magical, mystical middle ground where somehow everyone is right, um, no matter what they believe. And as long as no one su- suggests that they're really right... Um, we'll all just get along. And you look at the world around you and don't you see that it's an unmitigated disaster because it's a lie. It's a lie. And Jesus says, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a false peace. That's a fantasy invented by the enemy of souls. The strong man's goal is to keep as many souls as possible from Christ, and yet there is one who is stronger still. Amen? You have time for a quick story? It's coming anyway. I just want to know what your attitude is. Um, so I don't know if you noticed this in the paper, but, but the, the city of Coeur d'Alene used to have this practice of having um, evangelical ministers pray before each city council meeting. And um, in, the, in the last several months, they've decided to change that because there has been more and more pushback in our community of, well, why don't we have uh, Buddhists say something before the council? Why, why don't we have Hindus say something before our council meets? Why don't we have Mormons and all of this sort of thing? And, and you just got to ask yourself, um, why would the city do that? Well, it, it's to do with this gray area that man wants to live in. that This compromise that men and women want to live in. The the, the exclusive claim of the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. It's not inclusive in any sense. Now it is inclusive in terms of Jesus' call to all, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. But it is not inclusive in the sense that Jesus shares the throne of the human heart, the soul, with anyone else. John MacArthur in in his commentary on Matthew puts it this way. Um, and I didn't put this on the screen because I I thought you might hurt yourselves trying to write it down, but just, just listen to this. He says, a person need not oppose Christ in order to be against him. It is only necessary not to be with him. It is not necessary to interfere with the work of Christ in order to be one who scatters. It is only necessary not to gather with him. May that what a helpful way of articulating there there isn't a neutral ground there's not a a gray area a middle ground and so um, if you are holding back from a clear unmistakable pledge of allegiance to him you're against him by God's grace Pastor Darrell mentioned this earlier in the announcements we'll have some. Uh, you know, a couple some days from now, who will, who will make that pledge of allegiance to Christ? How many of you know that's what baptism is? It's, it's not salvific, it's a declaration that Christ has um, bound the strong man in that heart, and he is plundering that life for the glory of God. So please hear this. If, if your life is not in some way dedicated to Christ, the, the bringing about of his kingdom, um, you're against him. So the, the, the parents, some of you are parents, many of you have had parents. Um, that'll, that'll come to you later. But I mean, think of what the world tells you to do. Well, you just raise your kids in neutral, see, and um, train them to be open to all ideas. Uh, and you, don't, you don't want to be t- too dogmatic about anything. It just never make it in school that way. And um, do you realize that such a parent is doing the work of Satan, not the work of God? And some of you, dear ones, you might be thinking, no, wait a minute, I, I just won't choose. That's how I'm going to solve this thing. Do you realize in light of what Jesus is saying here, you're not choosing is a choice. No middle ground. And so what does God's word say to you today? Maybe some of you sitting at home, I don't know if you've still got your jammies on or not, but it, do, it doesn't matter. What, what, is, what is God saying to you today? He says, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the is the day of salvation and you think well i i'll I'll wait till later i mean I'll, i'll wait till the ice thaws how about that you don't have to go anywhere to come to christ it's it's a matter of the heart well i'm thinking about it maybe it'll be tomorrow you might not have tomorrow well, where do we go from here? How how do we end this thing? Some of you are looking at me like that. How do we end this thing? Um, What could possibly be worse than being against Christ? Because because Jesus says that. He says, um, he who is not with me, verse 30, is against me. The only thing I can think of that is worse than being against Christ is to know that Christ is against you. And, And we'll end with these last two verses here. Therefore I say to you, says Jesus, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. And these verses have have caused... um, because of us, cause so much trouble for so many Christians. We 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 don't want to misunderstand them. What what is blasphemy? What does it mean to to blaspheme? It, it simply means to slander or disrespect God. How can I know whether I have committed this unpardonable sin of blaspheming the Spirit of God? Well, we'll end with that. But let me just. Um, do you mind being encouraged first? Can we, can we go there first? Um, let's just rejoice in what can be forgiven. Don't skip that stuff. Look at verse 31. Any sin and any blasphemy shall be forgiven people. I would submit to you that's good news. Look at verse 32. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. You mean denying Christ can be forgiven? Well, just ask Peter. And what was Peter's advice to those among his people, the Jews who denied Christ? Peter said what? Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Anybody in this room Anybody joining us um, via live stream who's thinking, you know, I've, I've, I've turned my back on Jesus so many times. I, I just say um, on, the, on the authority of scripture, repent and return and your sins will be wiped out. And, and times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. This is not my material. This is the word of God. You mean persecuting Christ's church could be forgiven? Some of you have done that. Mocking believers in your past, scoffing at at Christians in your past. Well, what what would the Apostle Paul have to say about that, do you suppose? Why would Jesus forgive a monster like Saul of Tarsus who, who was to the early church what Osama bin Laden was to America not, not too many years ago. Well, listen to what Paul says, 1 Timothy 1. I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant, and with the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full, full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. I'm getting the sense that there's an awful lot that can be forgiven. Can crucifying God the Son be forgiven? Well, you wouldn't even need to ask Peter or Paul, would you? you just ask Jesus, who said what? From his bloody cross while they were rolling dice to see who got to keep the clothes. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. How deep is the love of God for his people that he he says to us in his word this morning, you come to me with all of your sin, and my son, the work of my son, is sufficient to atone for that sin, to set you free from the the, the burden of your guilt, the bondage of your enslavement to self and to sin. And this forgiveness is yours, the scripture says, as you repent and and trust in Christ's unrivaled authority to forgive. Not not on on the basis of some divine whim, but on the basis of what he has done in serving you. Being born into humanity, born into this world, uh, to live the holy life you and I have not lived. And, and then to go to that cross and take upon himself the, 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 the hell that you and I have coming because of our sin. And if you doubt the authority of this Jesus, let me just remind you that the tomb's still empty. Jesus has defeated sin and he's defeated sin's death let me let me just end with this who is ruling the house that is your soul has the strong man the deceiver been evicted by the loving authority of jesus christ so that you're now mindful of God, so, so that you now have affection for Christ, though you would love him more. Your, your, your will is now bent toward God's will, though you keep doing stuff you know you shouldn't. Your heart is to live out the will of God because he's given you a new heart. Your desires are increasingly what God desires. Your wants increasingly are what God wants? Or or, or are you one who is so familiar with this gospel, the miracle of God coming into this world to serve us us in the way I've described, Um, and and you you know all of that wonderful truth, and and yet you're, you're uncommitted to this Jesus, I'm bound by scripture to give you the warning that you are rejecting Jesus. You're either with him or you're against him. And so this unpardonable sin that's called blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not a type of sin that people commit. and It's not a certain amount of sin that people commit. It's not a length of time spent committing that sin. It's to ignore the Spirit's call to repent and to trust in Christ. It's to refuse to be for him despite all of the evidences that God has placed in front of you in your life. And it is to be Against him. Let let me just explain it this way and then we'll close. Um, Is it not the work of the spirit of God to convict of sin? Is it? Yeah, I read that somewhere. Um, It's the work of the spirit of God to to draw sinners to God's remedy for sin, Christ. It's the work of the spirit of God to illumine his truth, to illumine his word, to grant understanding, and to ignore all of that, to close your ears to all of that, to harden your heart, is to forsake the only rescue that's available to you. That's what these Pharisees in Matthew 12 are doing. Theirs is a settled, unwavering rejection of Christ. And why does the Bible then say, today is the day of salvation? Because God alone knows when each individual conscience, if you will, is hardened to the point that it's just not going to turn. Somebody put it a lot better than I just did. J.C. Ryle puts it this way. And I think he's being pastoral here. He wants to comfort those who wonder, oh my, have I done something like this that's unforgivable? He said, those who are troubled with fears that they have sinned the unpardonable sin are the very people who have not sinned it. I mean, the the fact that you care about that at all is evidence that you are not ignoring the voice of the Spirit of God. Amen? All right, let's close. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word, we thank you for showing us the power and authority of our king. Lord, that there is no might greater than that of our king Jesus. Lord, the enemy of souls himself cannot possess anyone when Jesus declares that it will not be so. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would use your word to exalt Jesus among us now. And Lord, that you would cause anyone who is apart from you among us in their heart to to, to do what the psalmist says, kiss the son, lest he become angry, lest his wrath be kindled just a little. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. We thank you, Jesus, for the safety, for the security we have in you. And it's in your name that we pray.